Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week, we're going to look at scriptures from the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. The fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. And you'll notice in this post that the scriptures are the same as they were last week and the week before. Genesis, Hebrews, and John. Genesis, Hebrews, and John. All right, let's plunge right in. Genesis 18, 16 to 33. Now, where we left Abraham and Lot, uh, remember, Lot had taken the area in Sodom, and Abram took Canaan. Now we have the famous second half of 18, where we have the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah and the destruction. Chapter 18, verse 20. The Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry has reached me. If not, I will know. So the men turned away and they went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Abraham approached him and said, Lord, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there's 50 righteous people in the city? What if there's 50? Will you really sweep it and not spare this place for the sake of 50 righteous people? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked. So there's a bunch of wicked people there. Not everybody is wicked, Abraham might is saying. What if there's 50 righteous people? You're going to kill all the righteous people? Far from it, far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Verse 25. All right, the Lord says, If I find 50 in the city of Sodom, I will spare them. I'll spare the whole place. Abraham spoke again. All right, Lord, what if it's less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? All right, if there's 45, I won't destroy it. Once again, what if there's 40? You see what he's doing? For the sake of 40, I won't do it. May the Lord not be angry. Let me speak. What if there's 30? All right, I won't do it if there's 30. Now, now I've been so bold to speak, verse 31. What if there's 20? For the sake of 20. I will not destroy it. So we've gotten down from 50 to 20. May the Lord not be angry. Let me just speak one more time. What if there's 10? For the sake of 10, I won't destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. Guess what happened? Chapter 19. Sadly, the two angels arrived in Sodom and Lot was at the gateway of the city and everything went south. And it was a terrible and wicked thing. And the outcry to the Lord against its people was so great that he sent us to destroy it. These are the two men that said to Lot, we're going to destroy the city. So Lot went out in verse 14 and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to be married to his daughters. Hurry, let's get out of this place. The Lord is about to destroy the city. But the sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, you better get out of here, hurry up, take your wife and your two daughters, and you'll be swept away when the city is punished because of their wickedness. Then he hesitated. The men grasped his hand, verse 16, in the hands of his wife and two of his daughters and led them safely out, for the Lord was merciful. Amen. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere on the plain. Flee to the mountains. You'll be swept away otherwise. Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you show me great con kindness in me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. 
This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. He said to him, very well, I will grant this request. I will not overthrow the town that you speak of. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah and the Lord from the Lord out of the heavens. He overthrew the cities and the entire plains. But Lot's wife, remember Lot's wife, looked back and she became a pillar of salt. A pillar of salt. So, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. So Lot had chosen the more fair land that he thought was more fair, but actually was, it was destroyed, and God remembered Abraham. Chapter 21, remember I talked about Isaac last week, the son of the promise. Sarah became pregnant in 21-2 and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time that God had promised him. And so Hagar and Ishmael are sent away. That was one of the great consequences of the birth of Isaac. Okay. In chapter 22, we have the famous, this is a very famous chapter, very famous chapter, the testing of Abraham where God tested him and told him to go and sacrifice his son. And basically, it was as simple as that. He was going to sacrifice him, uh, uh, Mount Orb, um, and he was going to sacrifice him and uh, was going to kill him, but God intervened. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your only son. Okay? Because in verse 10, he had reached out his hand. He took the knife to slay the son, the angel of the Lord. Abraham, Abraham! He trusted the Lord. He trusted the Lord even with the death of his son and being asked to sacrifice his son. The Lord spared him, Isaac, and on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The Lord provided a burnt offering uh, to be replaced with the sacrifice of his son. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time. I swear by myself, verse 15, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So Abraham was tested by God Almighty in a very dramatic way. He had been waiting for a child. In fact, he had gone his own way, and remember with um, Hagar, the uh, maidservant, um, and had uh, the son Ishmael, which was not the child of the promise, Sarah, who's 100 years old, um, practically, and uh, Abraham is very old, and they have a child named Isaac, and he asks with the birth of the child that he be sacrificed, and then with Abraham's obedience to the Lord, the Lord credited to him as um, his, his obedience in a very, very positive way. And the Lord blessed him and his generation uh, coming after him, as we will see in the scriptures. Then we go to chapter 23, the death of Sarah. She lived to be 127 years old. In chapter uh, 24, we have Isaac and Rebekah. Now Abraham was now old and well advanced in her years. In chapter 24, verse 1, the Lord had blessed him in every way. 
Abraham had a fantastic life of service to God. And, um, and so we have Isaiah and uh, Isaac, I'm sorry, and Rebecca and the beautiful story in chapter 24 about them and how they met to, uh, with one another and what the Lord did in bringing them together. Now, the point of these chapters is that God is in charge and he's asking the people that he's raising up to be obedient to him. In their obedience to him, he's blessing them and he's prospering them. When they sin against him in an egregious ways, we saw uh, in the second half of chapter 18 with Sodom and Gomorrah, there's catastrophic consequences. So again, once again, before we get into Deuteronomy chapter 4, which talks about loving God and your neighbor and doing what God says, we have this idea in Genesis, we need to obey the Lord. We need to do what he tells us to do. In chapter 24, we see all of the um, reasons that God is going to bless Isaac and he's going to bless Rebekah and he is going to use them in a way to advance God's purpose and plan for the Israelite people. You have Abraham, you have Isaac, and of course, we'll see later that Isaac is going to have Jacob and Esau, and they're going to play a very important role uh, in the coming of the kingdom. Then Jacob is going to have the 12 sons. That's where the 12 tribes are going to come in. So this is a systematic process that God is using and God is raising people up in order for the future Messiah to come, but that's a long ways off. Abraham's about 1800 BC, about 1800 BC, so about 2000 years prior to the birth of Christ. Let's continue our study of the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Now, we said some real positive things last time about uh, Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. And chapter 11 is what we call the faith chapter. The faith chapter. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, verse 1, and certain of what we do not see. Okay? So there's a faith can't see everything absolutely. So we have to trust. We have to hope. We have to put our trust in the Lord. We, we have to be certain of things that cannot be seen. By faith, we understand that the universe, verse 2, was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And then he starts by faith. So now he's going to have a litany of people throughout the Old Testament. We begin with Cain and Abel, sacrifice of, uh, of Abel. We have, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life. He ascended into heaven. He actually did not die. Uh, we have by faith Noah. By fa his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Then we have by faith Abraham. We've been talking about Abraham uh, in Genesis. Then by faith Abraham, even though he was past age, verse 11, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sands on the seashore. That's what I had said earlier about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons, okay, which takes us to the book of Judges and the land being taken up and uh, taken over by Joshua's exploits and conquests, previous book of the Bible, Joshua. And then Judges is set up, and then we go to First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and the dynasty, the the monarchy, and then the splitting up the monarchy, etc. So we are um, 
thanking God in the book of Hebrews for these people that God raised up in faith, by faith Abraham, okay? Let's go by faith Abraham. Shoot, we're still in verse 17. When God tested him, uh, Genesis 22, which we just looked at, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He had received the promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son. So if he kills him, what does he have? Even though God said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did bring Isaac back from death. He saved Isaac. Isaac did not die, even though God had told uh, Abraham to sacrifice him. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau with regard to their future. Remember, I mentioned that Isaac's children, Jacob and Esau. Then we have a Jacob. Then we have, by faith, Joseph. Then we have Moses. As we move into the book of Exodus, um, then there's a long uh, uh, paragraph about Moses. By faith, in verse 29, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, the great miracle of God as he rescued the Israelites from um, Goshen, the land of Goshen, uh, where the Pharaoh put them under tremendous bondage and, uh, and God saved them through the uh, miracle of the parting of the Red Sea and of the deliverance of the people of Israel from Egypt. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's angered, anger. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land in 29. Then we have the walls of Jericho when we get to Joshua. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, so there's a woman there and a prostitute, because she had welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So she was present, and uh, God used her to um, save several import, very important people, uh, Israelite people. What more can I say? What about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah? Okay, those were all judges. Um, then we have David, of course, king, and then we have Samuel and the prophets. So chapter 11 is this fantastic chapter of how God raised people up to do his will and to advance his purposes. Same is present for you and for me, how God can use us and raise us up so that his kingdom is extended and his will be done. Okay? Um, verse 39 of chapter 11. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect. So God was doing something even greater as we move into the New Testament and the Messiah Jesus. And now the writer to the Hebrews is reflecting back on the life uh, and ministry and death and resurrection of Christ. And the significance that Christ has made, as I talked to you before, about the new covenant, okay? Versus the old covenant of the Old Testament. Now we have the new covenant. The New Testament it is a far better promise. It is far greater. Look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 12 of Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these fantastic people of the Old Testament, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. So we've got a race that's marked out. This race is the life that we live. This life that we have that God has given us by his grace and mercy and his creation of us in his image and likeness. 
Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay? Now he's going to share with the people. So we're looking back, the people that the, uh, the writer of the Hebrews is talking to. We're looking back, and, and he's sharing with what God has done. He does that, really, from chapter 1 through chapter 11. You know, where are we now? This is what happened before. Here are the scriptures to support what I'm saying. And then we have this wonderful uh, chapter, chapter 12, 3 through 11, and 12 to 29. He, he talks about, make every effort, in verse 14, to live in peace with all men and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So he's, again, using Old Testament and New Testament ideas. He is talking about how he wants us to live. He says in verse 12, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet. Verse 22, you've come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all men, the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, verse 24, the mediator of a new covenant. Remember the new covenant idea. And the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Okay, Cain and Abel, better than the blood of Abel. Jesus' sacrifice is greater. Jesus' death is greater. Jesus' ministry is greater. The new covenant that Jesus inaugurates is greater. What God did with the Old Testament is important. And it's significant. It's only a shadow of the things to come. The reality is in Christ. The reality is in Christ. Let's finish off chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, the kingdom of God in Christ, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So we have a relationship with God through Christ. We have the new covenant. We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. God is in charge. Let us be thankful and let us worship God reverently. There it is. I mean, it's just a fantastic two chapters there. Chapter 11 and chapter 12 of Hebrews. Enjoy them and read them uh, with great um, emphasis and prayer and uh, faith. John chapter 6. Remember we left off with Jesus feeding the 5,000 and then walking on water. Then we have the fantastic... um, series of scriptures regarding the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. Do not, verse 27, work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. They asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Can't get any simpler than that, folks. There it is in black and white. Pull out your Bible. John chapter 6, verse 27. Work for food that endures to eternal life, not for food that spoils everyday living. You You want to be thinking eternally, not temporally. You don't want to be thinking about this kingdom, this world. Think about the next world. Think about what lasts forever. That's where your main focus needs to be. Jesus said in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me, he or she that comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me, she who believes in me will never be thirsty. 
Now, he's obviously not talking about physical food. He's talking about something, again, eternal. If you don't think in terms of eternal reality, it's hard to, it's hard to find a connection with Jesus. He's speaking of things in a supernatural way. He's speaking of revelatory things, revelation in such a way that it has an eternal component to it. Okay? So when you're feeding and nurturing yourself in Christ, you now have an eternal perspective, and there really isn't a time where you're going to be hungry or you're going to be thirsty because he's going to provide everything that you need eternally. My Father's will in verse 40 of chapter 6 is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes him has eternal life. There's eternal life. You look to the Son, you have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the third and the last day. So when we die, Christ raises us up, raises us up, and on the last day when he comes again, he sets up his kingdom, and we will live with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever eternally in heaven. Now the Jews had some problem with this kind of thinking, as you would guess they would because they didn't trust him and they didn't know him and they didn't believe in him. Verse 47, he says, I tell you the truth, he who believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. He said, your forefathers in verse 49 ate manna in the desert and they died. Yet, here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a person may eat and not die. If a person eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I give for the light of the world. How can this man give his flesh to eat? They did not understand what he was saying. So again, that revelation from the Holy Spirit, that movement of the Holy Spirit upon your mind, your heart, your heart, your soul, in terms of understanding what these words mean in their proper context when you're reading the scriptures. I pray that that would be an opportunity for you to, in faith, believe and act upon these words of scriptures in a positive way. All right, let's continue on. Now, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. What I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. These are the words that are important. But is this offensive to you? Okay. A lot of people left him. They could no longer follow him. Verse 66. Jesus looked at the twelve and said, Do you not want to leave too? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Now that's a decision you and I have to make also. Are you going to leave him? When you get offended or you don't understand or you're confused or you think he's saying something you don't like or you can't understand what he's saying or you have problems with his words. The encounter of Jesus is a very important encounter that all of us have to have. And we have to constantly weigh where we are with him. Chapter 7, he goes to the feast of, uh, the feast of Tabernacles, another Old Testament feast. He's teaching at the feast. This is 7, 1 to 13 on Friday. And Saturday, as you can see in this post, 7, 14 to 36. He says in verse 18, He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself, but the one who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. He's being sent by God. God is sending Jesus. Jesus is not acting on his own. What they missed, what the Jewish leaders missed, is that God had actually sent this person, which they thought was unfathomable. How could God send this person? 
Well, the the reason that God could send this person, because this is God's son and is the second person of the Holy Trinity, which was, again, something that they couldn't possibly imagine. If a man is thirsty, verse 37, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow from within him. So now we've got water. Remember water in chapter 4 with the uh, Samaritan woman. And then in chapter 6, you have the idea of flesh. You have the idea of him being the bread of life. In both ways, he, by the living water, the person eternally lives in this life and the next one. And the bread of life, he eternally lives. She eternally lives. And so we're not talking about drinking a glass of water or eating some bread. We're talking about Christ nurturing us uh, and sustaining us. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. The streams of living water are going to flow within him. The Spirit of God is going to come. The third person of the Holy Trinity is going to come and speak and illuminate and comfort and bless and teach. So what Jesus was bringing is the work of the Father into their daily living. And unfortunately, they could not hear the word of the Lord in order to believe and be saved. And so in John, we have these tremendous tete-a-tetes, these confrontations, these discussions between them. Well, you have lots of thinking to do and lots of praying to do as I do as I continue to pour over these scriptures and really some wonderful chapters in Genesis and Hebrews and John. Let's pray that God would bless you abundantly and bless your study and your reading as we continue in our study of the daily lectionary in the season of Epiphany. God bless you and we'll see you next time.